The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. My name is Andrew. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King, and it's my privilege to welcome you to our worship service this morning. Uh, If you're new uh, or visiting with us this morning, we're going to be finishing a series in the book of Joshua. So please turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. And as you you turn to Joshua uh, 24, I imagine that that many of you here uh, have attended some kind of a special event or ceremony at some point. Uh, Perhaps it was a, a wedding or a graduation uh, but in any case, in any case, here at the end of Joshua, we witness an event that is sacred and that is beautiful. It's a ceremony between God and his people uh, called a covenant renewal ceremony. It's a ceremony where the people are reminded of the true story of God's gracious care for them, and then they are called upon to respond by renewing their loyalty to God and to serve him and him alone. So with this in mind, please follow along as we read Joshua chapter 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. And you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good and a gracious God, and that you have done such good things for your people. And so we ask now that you would open our hearts to hear this true story of who you are and what you have done, of your great love. And we pray that you would shape our hearts to then respond with loyal service to you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you know, when it comes to college sports, Roanoke is a Virginia Tech town. And if you are a Hokie football fan or just a, a football fan in general of college, of college football, then some of you may have heard the news uh, that Duke's football team, one of their uh, defensive tackles, a guy named uh, Ennius uh, Peebles, number 16, he is transferring from Duke to Virginia Tech to play for the Virginia Tech football team in the 2024 season. Now, 
I imagine there's a lot of expectation and excitement uh, for how Aeneas is going to help uh, strengthen the Virginia Tech defense. And one thing everyone knows for sure is that in the 2024 season, whenever, whatever date they choose for Virginia Tech to play against Duke, one thing we do know is that Aeneas is going to do everything he can to take down his former teammates. And if you've seen any, any videos of, of Aeneas, you're going to be, you would be very sad to be one of his former teammates when you line up against him that day. And everyone knows this because Aeneas does not play for Duke anymore. He plays for Virginia Tech. He doesn't play for Duke and Virginia Tech. No, he plays for Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech alone. This is obvious to us. And it's also a picture of what the life of the people of God is meant to look like. We play for the Lord. We are on his team. We serve no other gods. And yet, many times in the Christian life, we live like a player, like a football player, who's trying to play for two different teams at the same time. Many times in the Christian life, we live as though we, we, we actually don't serve God alone. We turn and we serve false gods. This passage that we see this morning speaks to this reality. God calls his people to serve him and him alone. But how does he motivate and make it possible for us to serve him? Well, you can see the answer to this question in the title for this morning's sermon and also in the, in the bulletin as well. In this passage, we see how a true story leads to true service. Now, the call to serve God is very clear. In verse 1, all the people are gathered before God at Shechem. And in verse 14, they are commanded to fear the Lord and serve Him. But before God calls His people to serve Him in verse 14... God tells them the true story about himself. And we heard this true story in verses 2 through 13. The true story of how God had chosen Abraham. Now, you, you need to know that Abraham did not even know God, let alone love him. Abraham, like all the rest of humanity, was, was actually a traitor against the one true God. Abraham did not serve God. He served idols. He served false gods. We see this in verse 2. And God would have had every right to bring judgment on Abraham for this wrongdoing. But instead, God showed kindness to Abraham. We see that in verse 3. And he chose Abraham to bless him and to bless the world through him. Abraham, he didn't deserve that any more than you or than me. But even though he didn't deserve it, God had come to Abraham and made incredible promises. Promises to be his God, to make him into a great nation, to give him a good place to live. And then God faithfully fulfilled all of those promises. As he made Abraham's fam family into a large and numerous people, as he protected and provided for his people. This is the true story God tells us about himself the true story of God's steadfast love for his people. And the people hearing this story had physical evidence before their very eyes of how they could trust the God who was telling them this story. All they had to do was look down and then look around. You might say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, if they looked down, they would see the ground that they were standing on. And if you were there with them and you asked, hey, what's this place called? They would have said, this place is called Shechem. 
We see that's the name of the place in verse 1. Joshua gathered them to Shechem. Now, here's the cool thing about Shechem. Shechem is, when we read in Genesis 12, way back earlier in the story, we see that Abraham was in Shechem, and it was in this same place that God had promised Abraham that he would give the land to his people. And all the people standing there at this time knew knew this story. They would have known this story very well. And so they would have looked down and said, wow, here we are standing in Shechem. And then they would look up, and they would look around, and they would see not one or two or a dozen or a couple hundred. They would see a huge nation of people gathered all around them. They would see the great people that God had promised to give to Abraham standing in the land God had promised to give them. Just by scooping up a handful of dirt or clasping hands with the people around them, they had physical evidence of the goodness of their God, who had made them His people, who had kept His promises, who had protected and provided for them. That is the true story God was telling them about Himself. And you all, stories are powerful. They touch our hearts and our souls and they shape us. Just just go watch Boys in the Boat or some movie like that. And so let me ask you, what stories have you heard and believed about God? And how have those stories shaped your heart? For some of us, maybe you've heard a story where God is an angry dictator who refuses to love until his standards are met. Or maybe you've heard a story where God is is far and distant and he really isn't that interested in the lives of his people. Well, whatever story you may have heard and believed about God. In this passage, God reminds us of the true story about who He is and what He is like. The story that shows how He is our gracious God who loves His people before they ever loved Him and then protects and provides for His people as He keeps His promises. And as that story works its way into our hearts, God uses it to shape our hearts That is is the key message of this passage. The key message of the passage is this. The story of God's love for us shapes us to love and serve God. And this is exactly the pattern that we see here in this text. Look with me in verse 14. He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. You notice those words, now, therefore, Those words are pointing us back to the true story about God we just heard in verses 2 through 13. Verse 14 is saying, this story, this is your motivation for serving the Lord. In other words, we serve as a response of gratitude and of love for God and for all that He has done for us because God first loved and cared for us. The true story of God's love shapes us to love and serve God. And as we respond to God out of gratitude and love, we are to give Him true service. We see this in verse 14. They were to serve with sincerity and faithfulness. And as we serve God in sincerity and faithfulness, we serve Him and Him alone. Look again with verse 14. Do you hear what he said? He said, put away the gods your fathers served and serve the Lord. 
And Joshua makes the same call for undivided loyalty in verse 15. He says, serve God or serve these other false gods. You cannot do both. You don't play for any other team. You serve the Lord and him alone. You have been transferred to his team. And you all, this call is extremely, extremely relevant because God's people then and God's people today have always faced the temptation to serve other gods. As we read the rest of the Old Testament, we see this threat was very real for God's people. And the same is still true for Christians living today in Roanoke, Virginia. In 2024, we, we Christians, we don't bow down to carved images or statues, but we are just as tempted to serve other false gods like wealth, power, academics, athletics. The list could go on and on, but, but why? What is going on in our hearts that makes this so? Well, one commentator explains that in the ancient Near East, people served false gods because they believed these false gods would bring two basic benefits, protection and blessing. So you might serve a god because you believed or you hoped that god would protect you and your people in battle and from invading enemies. Or you might serve a god so that they would give the blessing of a good harvest, so there would be plenty of food to eat. And these desires to have protection and blessing continue to shape why we often serve false gods today. And you all, this is why the true story that God has told us about himself is so very important. Because it reveals that the true God provides us with all we have been looking for among these false gods. And he sets us free from serving these false gods and enables us to serve him alone. So what might this look like in real life? Well, uh, Pastor Tim Keller, uh, before he went to be with Jesus, he would help people identify their idols by asking questions. Questions like, what keeps you awake at night? Maybe you're sitting here and you find yourself, you think about how when you lie awake at night, you find yourself worrying about belonging. You, you worry about people approving of and receiving you. And, and we're not talking about living in such a way where, you know, in biblical ways where we're actually being courteous and kind to people, the kind of person you actually want to be around. We're not talking about that. We're, we're talking about the kind of belonging where you won't do things you know you should do or you will do things you know you should not do because you feel like to belong for people to like you or approve of you or to receive you, you have to do or not do these things. Because you believe that belonging is what's going to make everything be okay. But seeking to belong by being willing to do whatever it takes to please other people, you don't need me to tell you that is a brutal way to live. But look back with me at verses 2 through 3 because the Bible gives us a beautiful alternative. Do you remember the true story of how God began his relationship with his people? Of how they came to belong to him? In verse 2, we've seen this. Abraham came from a background of not serving God but other gods. Abraham had done nothing to earn belonging to God. But look what God did in verse 3. He said, 
Then I took your father Abraham and led him. Abraham was in a relationship with God. He belonged to God because of God's grace, because of his kindness, because of his mercy. And the same thing is true of all Christians. Every Christian, every follower of Jesus belongs to God as a dearly loved child. But it's not because we have done anything to deserve that. It is a grace and a mercy God has given us through Jesus. And it is a belonging, listen to this, it is a belonging that he promises to never take away. We know how easy it is to earn belonging among a group of people to only have it snatched through our fingers, maybe days or weeks or months later. But God says that this belonging is a gift he gives to us that is forever and that is for free. As that truth sinks deeply into our hearts, God empowers us to serve him alone no matter whether other people accept us or reject us because he has given us the ultimate belonging that we were all made for. As we reflect on that one example, what are other ways that you could go back and reflect on that true story about God? And how might that story continue to shape and free you to serve God alone? Well, as we seek to serve God alone, we also take our service to God seriously. In verses 16 through 18, the people, after they've been told to serve God alone, they give this incredible response. They, they acknowledge all God has done, and they commit to serve Him and Him alone. And so it may surprise us when we hear how Joshua responds to their commitment. Look with me in verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Wow. What on earth is going on here? Why does Joshua respond this way? They, they literally just said that they will do exactly what he asked them to do, to serve God and God alone. And this is how Joshua responds? Well, as we unpack this, we, we need to, we, the first thing we need to do we need to make sure that we don't hear what Joshua is not saying. Look with me again in verse 19. He says, God will not forgive you. It would be very easy to hear this and think that Joshua is just straight up contradicting everything the Bible says about God's patience and forgiveness. But we need to keep two things in mind. First of all, we know God is forgiving because he tells us that he is in Exodus 34. And then he shows us that he is when he forgave Israel after worshiping the golden calf. The second thing we need to remember is the context. We see in this context that God will not forgive in situations like in verse 20, the verse that comes right after this, where people utterly forsake or, or just completely abandon God. So this is not talking about people who sin and seek forgiveness like we actually did this morning. We see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that those who seek pardon and repent receive pardon from our gracious God. So what is Joshua doing here? Joshua is showing them how serious this commitment is. So a number of years ago, I, it, was a, it, was a, it was a morning, and I was on the naval base in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was standing on the naval base, and I look up, and I see this United States Marine Corps general 
uh, making his way down the sidewalk. So he's walking down the sidewalk, and coming from the other direction, I see this very low-ranking sailor walking towards the general. They did not see the general, though, because they were walking while looking down at their cell phone. And so they walked by this general without greeting him and certainly without saluting him. Now, if you're standing there, if you're sitting there thinking, ooh, that's not good, you are absolutely correct. That is not good. And so the Marine Corps general, as this sailor passed him, he stopped, and I remember thinking, oh boy, what am I about to see? Plausible deniability. He sits, he sits there, and he turns around, and he stopped the sailor, and he called him back over. Now, this general was very gracious, but he very firmly corrected them. He reminded them that it was their duty to salute him, and they did, and then he dismissed them. I think we can all agree that even though the sailor had made a mistake, what they did was still not acceptable. And so how much so would it have been if they had actually seen that general and they had still refused to salute? If any one of us had seen that, we would have said, are are you kidding me? You're in the military. That's a Marine Corps general. You need to get serious. And that is what Joshua is telling Israel. Except, in this case, it is a much bigger deal. Because in Joshua 24, we're not talking about a Marine Corps general as much honor as they are due. We're talking about the creator and ruler of the universe. And Joshua is making it crystal clear that they are not to take their service to God lightly. Joshua is reminding them that God is a holy and jealous God, and he will not stand by and allow us to play for two different teams. We need to hear this loud and clear because we can so easily say, oh, sure, yes, I will follow God and serve him, but then very easily abandon this resolve if it inconveniences us or if it interferes with our own plans. And so we need to let Joshua's words sink way down deep inside so that we see more clearly who God is. God is a holy and jealous God. He will not share his people with false gods. Just as the general was right to not stand idly by as a sailor dishonored him, so our God will not stand idly by as people betray him with idolatry. How seriously do we take God? And how seriously do we take our service to him? And if you're feeling uncomfortable, I'm right there with you. Because <laughs> this, this pricks my heart. When verses 24 through 28, the people reaffirm that they will serve the Lord. And they bring the ceremony to completion. And as we see these people stand before God, and as we question how we can stand before Him and take our service seriously, we must realize one thing. None of us could stand before this holy God if it were not for how gracious and merciful he is. We saw this clearly in the story of Abraham and all he did for his people. But the story of God's grace did not end in Joshua 24, verse 13. 
As we come to an end, we see that no, ultimately, all of this story was pointing to the climax of God's grace when God sent Jesus to this earth. And what role, what role did Jesus take on while he walked among us? Servant. We see this part of the true story in Matthew chapter 4 in the New Testament. God's enemy, Satan, had offered Jesus the kingdoms of the world. He said, it's all yours if you will worship me. And in Matthew 4 verse 10, Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And this devotion that Jesus had to serve God alone would lead Jesus to suffer death on the cross. And Jesus knew that this would happen. He was not surprised. It was the plan. In Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man, the Son of Man was a way he would refer to himself. He said, The Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus, the perfect servant, willingly give his life for us? It was to pay the price for every time we have failed to serve our God. And for every time, we have served other false gods. In a word, it was so that we could be forgiven and made new. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the true story of God's love for us. Well, we began this morning talking about how a football player had been transferred to a new team. And we'll end by noting that for those of us trusting in Jesus this morning, we too have been transferred. We've been transferred away from being dead in our sins and destined for hell. And we have been transferred into God's family as his beloved children. And we received this transfer at the terrible price, the price of God's beloved son, the servant who suffered for us and rose for us so that we would be God's forgiven children. If you do not yet know this loving God, as your father, you can today by simply believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and receiving God's mercy. And when we are trusting in Jesus, we can now serve God out of love for God because he saved us and because Jesus has sent his spirit to shape our hearts, to remind us of this true story, to fill our hearts with love for God and to give us the power to serve him alone in return. Let's pray and thank him for his love and ask for his help right now. Lord, we thank you that before you call us to serve you, you tell us the true story of, of your love for us, of how you have sacrificed for us. Lord, we pray that in the midst of many stories that we are told about who you are and what you are like, that you would help this true story to cut through the fog of all the others, to show us reality, to, to fill us with a love for you that, that is unexplainable and that that would shape us to love you by serving you in return. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.